This podcast is presented to you by High Desert Word Center in Barstow, California. For more information, visit hdwc.org. Amen. Hallelujah. And I mean it. It is good to be in the presence of the Lord. And I can, I can sense that, that uh, the anointing is here in a strong way tonight. And I don't go around throwing out phrases like that. You've known me for a long time. So, um, but praise God. What I want to talk about tonight, it sounds kind of funny at first, but in all honesty, I'm not trying to be funny at all. When I throw the title out here, I'm really not trying to be funny. This this is something that I feel the Lord gave me. In fact, I know he did. And it's going to change some people's lives. And so the the title of a new series we're starting is Holy Swag. And you're like, well, what on earth is that stuff? Holy Swag. Well, what I'm talking about is this. Swag is a confidence that you, that, that you can have about you. And you know, some people, well, that's your style. That, that guy's got swag. And, and, and you know, the world uses that in a certain sense. But I'm really not trying to be funny when I say this. Um, several months ago, you know, the, I, I was praying and, and just dealing with some stuff. And, 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 and I felt the Lord talking to me about, man, come on. Have some confidence. You can come boldly into the throne of grace. You know, I heard one time Kenneth Copeland was talking about he was going through a situation and, and so he was in his bedroom just on his knees, bawling and squalling and begging God and, 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 oh Lord, please intervene. Oh God, if it be thy will. Oh Lord, do something. God, help him this. And he's begging and crying and spitting and, and all, just like some Christians do. They're throwing ashes in the air and put on burlap or whatever, like it was the days of Jonah. And God said, what are you doing? Get up. What are you doing? He's like, well, I'm storming the gates of heaven. What do you think I'm doing? And God says, why are you storming the gates of heaven? What if my throne's right there in the middle of it? And we know that heaven's, what, 1,700 miles each direction or whatever. And you're storming. Why stop at the gates? When I said you could come boldly into the throne of grace, just come on in and let's talk. And some Christians, they're, they're storming the gates of heaven. and They're begging and pleading. And God's saying, get up. Stop that. Just come on in and let's talk about, I'm your dad. What's wrong with you? And, and, and we see ourselves in such a way that really holds a lot of people back. And I know that it's held me back at times. And my goal out of all this, again, is not to be funny and have some catchy titles so I can get some likes on Instagram or Facebook or, you know, ratchet up the views on the podcast. I, that's not what this is about. I believe that if the body of Christ and if this church right here could begin to have a godly confidence about who you are in Christ and about, I mean, what, what all God's done for you, it would change the way that you lived your life. Now, and, and I'm serious, this isn't about pride, I want to say that, because sometimes, you know, people are like, well, I don't want to be, this isn't about sinful pride, this is having the confidence that God's your dad, and every situation you walk into, every room that you walk into, you hold your head high, because you belong to Jesus Christ. He's your big brother, and God's your father, there is no need for you to ever walk into a a situation, oh man, I, I know I don't deserve to be here. Yes, you do. You do deserve to be there. You do deserve to have the things that God set up for you. Never again think of yourself as someone begging and, 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 and just coming in and, and all these other people. They deserve this, but I don't. Knock that off right now. That's not from God. That's from the devil. You need to have a confidence about you that, 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 that you know who you are 
and that you do belong where you're at. And God does have something better for you. But if Christians, if you in this crowd could get a hold of this, the confidence that you need to have, it would change your life. It, I promise you, it would change your life. If you could see who God sees when he looks down at you, it would change your life. And so there's some stuff I want to talk about. You know, a strange anomaly that I've experienced in ministry is this, and Katie and I have talked about this and, and all this stuff. But, but it, you know, it's, it, it's, it's funny how, you know, we've for years tried to reach out and make relationships with other pastors and stuff. And, and well, maybe these guys will be our friends. And, and maybe these guys over here. And the weirdest thing is, for 12 solid years, every time I try to reach out, basically, and establish some sort of networking and friendships with, with other churches uh, and, and pastors. I'm not just talking about here in Barstow, all over, you know, the nation. But, but you know, oh, man, these guys are our age. Maybe they'll be our friends. And, you know, admittedly, some of the meetings and stuff we go to, we're the youngest ones there uh, that are in full-time ministry. And, uh, and, and, and the weirdest thing is time after time again, every time I try to develop some sort of friendship with another pastor that's around maybe uh, – my demographic, my age, or, or a church that's our size, sometimes even smaller, just the door is always slammed shut in my face. I'm like, what's the deal? You know, I'm, I, you know our church is your size. Uh, you're, that's not that stretch that we could be friends, or, or our church is a little bit bigger. Than your, what, what, why don't, what, what's wrong? But the weird thing is this, is that basically the, the only pastoral ministry friends that actually hook up with us and, and, and all this is, is pastors of churches that are huge. And, 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 and I get where I'm going with this in just a minute, okay? The, the, the only real pastor friends that I have, some of them pastor churches that have more people than the city of Barstow has in it. Okay, my, probably my closest pastor friend that, that I can text back and forth with has a church of 20,000 people. And he'll answer me right now. You know, I can text the guy across town that has 50 people. Hey, let's get caught. No response. And I'm like, what's the deal? Why is that? Why is that? And, and so we were at a, a conference uh, last year, March of 2018, and, and Brian Besser, our great friend, everybody loves Brian. Brian's the man. All right? And so me and, and Brian are talking. We're at one of these large churches, and I'm just telling him this. I'm like, how, Brian, this is the weirdest thing. I don't know why these guys will hang out with me, and I'm trying for years to, to get just other people to, you know, that are around our same level to hang out with us. And Brian said something that I laughed off and didn't think about until a year later. But Brian said, well, brother, have you ever thought about that maybe you guys were meant to soar with the eagles, not peck around with chickens? And I was like, maybe that, and maybe that's the truth in your life. Maybe you've been rejected because you're an eagle and you're trying to hang out with the chickens. And God said, get up there, man. You're on a higher level than that. It's not a pride thing. It's not an arrogance thing. But you need to see who you are in Christ and realize that God's got something for you. You're special. And that's not saying that everybody else isn't special. But you need to realize right now in the most holy way, you're stinking awesome. You're incredible. You're like the coolest person in Barstow. And you don't even know it. You need to understand who you are in Christ, and you need to walk into a room with your head held high and say, hey, I'm sorry, man, the king's kid just showed up. What's up? Hey, come on, somebody. The king, my dad is the king of the world. 
And so again, I'm not talking about pride here. I want to look at a verse here in Romans chapter 8. And again, I stress the point that this isn't supposed to be cute and funny. I know I've, I've shared the title and, and people, they, and, and I get it, it. It is a little bit of a silly thing. But, but seriously, if you could get a godly confidence, a godly confidence about you, it would change your life. It would change you. No doubt about it. And so we're going to look here at Romans chapter 8, because I'm a firm believer in the adoption that I've experienced, and hopefully you are too. But if you are truly a born-again Christian, this applies to you. Romans chapter 8, and we're going to look at verses 15 through 17. Romans chapter 8, verses 15 through 17. And, uh, and, and man, this just, this really does something for me. Romans 8, chapter 15. It says, So you have not received a spirit that makes you fearful slaves. I'm not some slave. Instead, you received God's spirit when you, when he adopted you as his own children. Now we call him Abba Father. It says it right there. He adopted you as his own children. He's father to us. And, you know, dad was just saying that this morning. The rest of the world may say, well, you know, that's that's God. That's God. Well, that's fine. Yes, he's God. But when you're his kid, he's father. He's dad. And he's not just God. He's not just the man upstairs, the, the big one in the sky. That's not how I see God. I see God as being my father. And so verse 16 says, for his spirit joins with our spirits to affirm that we are God's children. Are there any children of God in the house tonight? Verse 17. And since we are his children, we are his heirs. That's a, I mean, some of you that's going to stick. Some of you it's going to fly over your head like a fly ball. But listen to me. Look at that. It says that we are his heirs. We're the ones that are going to receive the inheritance, his will, what he has is being left to us. We are his heirs. In fact, together with Christ, we are heirs of God's glory. But if we're to share his glory, we must also share his suffering. And there are seasons that we go through like that. But listen to me right now. It says that we are heirs of God's glory. We are joint heirs with Christ. And so I want to look here, uh, flip over to Galatians chapter 4. We're going to get into this in just a minute. Galatians chapter 4. Amen. Galatians chapter 4. And we're going to look at verses 4 through 7. We've got to lay some groundwork here. And for those of you that will honestly get this in your hearts, I guarantee life change. Guarantee it. Those of you that can just acknowledge it with your head and, then you know, there's not a whole lot going to be done for you. But for those that can get this in their hearts, really get the word of God in their hearts regarding this fact that you are a daughter of God. You are a son of God. This this could absolutely be the thing to totally push you through to the next level in life. Galatians 4, verses 4 through 7, it says, But when the right time came, God sent his son, born of a woman, subject to the law. God sent him to buy freedom for us who were slaves to the law so that he could adopt us as his very own children. I'm not making this adoption thing up. That's the second New Testament reference that we've shown you in just two minutes that says we've been adopted. Get this. Get this. 
you have literally been adopted into the family of God. Verse 6, and because we are his children, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, prompting us to call out Abba, Father. That's exactly what we just read. Now you are no longer a slave, but God's own child. And since you are his child, God has made you his heir. That's, again, exactly the same thing we just read in Romans right there. And so what, what is an heir? That, that, that's somebody. I mean, if you're an heir to an estate, especially a really rich person's estate, you're in pretty good hands right there. I mean, it's not that you just deserve it so much. You just happen to be born into the right family. And there's a lot of people like that, and people get mad at him. I don't, I don't get mad at him, but there's a lot of people, oh, he was just born into the, he's, he doesn't deserve that. Well, maybe, maybe not, but somewhere along the way, someone in his family worked super hard, and, and, and yeah, he deserves it. He or she was born into that family. Now think about this. You know, John D. Rockefeller, the richest person possibly in the history of the world, definitely the richest American, if, if his, his, his net worth in 2019 currency would be $409 billion. That, that is a lot of money. The richest person in the world right now is Jeff Bezos. He's worth $136 billion. Rockefeller was quadrupled him, and this was, you know, 100 years ago. $409 billion. And people, you know, and, and to this day, the Rockefellers, they're rich because of what, and some of them, they, they never met John D. Rockefeller. They, they didn't have to work for it. They were just simply born into the right family. And because of that, they have a lot of benefits that not everybody else has. $409 billion. They're still feeling the effects of it to this day. Now, Rockefeller was, in my opinion, a good man. He, you know, he did, you know, you could study history and, and he kind of had a monopoly on the oil market. But at the same time, he was a tither. He gave money and he spent so much money on missions that they eradicated many diseases just through the medical research that he did in the name of Jesus. He was a Christian. He eradicated total diseases out of some third world nations because of the giving that he did. It's incredible. But. Think about this. How, how, when everyone sits around, man, I wish oh, I had a grandpa that was worth $409 billion. Man, that's nice. But I have a dad that owns all the earth. I have a dad that the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. My dad is a lot richer than John D. Rockefeller. My dad has a lot more resources than, than, than Donald Trump, than Bill Gates, than Jeff Bezos, than, than, than Mark Cuban, than any billionaire you could dare to imagine. My dad is worth a hundred million times more than what they are. And, 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 and that may all sound nice and fuzzy, but listen, it says right here, look at that right there. God has made me his heir. For those of you, I see it's clicking with some of you. Some of you, you got that, nothing's going on behind the eyes. That's fine. But I'm talking to you right now that are actually getting a hold of this. Listen, you have been made an heir of God Almighty. And when he doesn't look down, he doesn't say, oh, there, there's Michael. He said, there is my son. Would you look at him? There's my son right there. I'm so proud of him. I just want to do something for him. There's Sabrina. There's my daughter right there. I love that is my daughter and I'm proud of her. And listen, that's what God's doing when he looks down here and you're living for him. He wants to do something in your life. 
Third John 2, no wonder it says, beloved, I wish above all things that you would prosper and be in health. Any good dad would say that. Yeah, I, I mean, I say that to my kid. Beloved, Joel, I wish above all things that thou mayest prosper and be in health, even as thy soul prospers. You know, any dad would do that. Any dad that cares about their kids. And that's what God's saying to you. And so when we're talking about having a holy swag, having a confidence, the very first thing you've got to realize is that you're confident, not because of who you are, but because of who your dad is. When I go into a room, it's not about that, oh, David's saying, but no, no, uh, a son of God just walked in to this room. You better look out because his dad's really rich, really powerful. You don't want to mess with that family. You don't want to mess with those guys. They, they, they've got a lot of resources. You don't mess with them. And I'm telling you, in the right godly way, you have got to get a hold of this in your life. I'm proud of my family heritage. I know some people really cling to their heritage and stuff. And that's fine. You know, that's great. A lot of people put their family or their race above their Christianity, honestly, in some instances. But I don't care about that. I am so much more proud that I'm a son of God than I am of people that came over on the Mayflower or people that did this or or your your great-great-grandfather was a judge. He was the governor of... Who cares, man? My dad, my father, made the heavens and the earth. Who cares about that other stuff? I'm proud that I'm a born-again Christian. I'm proud that I'm a son of God. I'm proud of the family that I belong to because there's a whole lot of us, and we've got each other's back. And we've got a lot of resources, and you don't want to mess with us because we're the children of God. Amen. And so I want to get into the message here tonight, but I really have to lay this groundwork for you, all right? And so the first thing I'm going to say about this is when you have a holy uh, swag, first of all, that just I'm just talking about godly confidence. You may want to write that down. That's not on there. But uh, for for the rest of this series, however long this goes, I have no idea. We're on a roller coaster that has no end point right now. I'm just rolling with this stuff. Listen, godly, holy swag means godly confidence. And so the first thing I'm going to tell you tonight is this, knowing who your family is, number one, quit being intimidated by people. Quit being intimidated by people. Because there's a lot of you that are. There's a lot of people listening to this podcast right now that are. They are intimidated by other people and, well, they've got so much money and they've got it so good and, and all this. And, and, and especially if you're, if you're looking at, at somebody else that's not even a Christian and you're jealous of the stuff they have, that is no way for a son or daughter of God to be acting because you realize their stuff's going to burn up, man. It is gone. They, they, they've reached their peak at this point. Whatever it is they have right now, that's as good as it's ever going to get for them unless they give their life to Jesus. It's all going to be downhill from here, and they're going to lose every cent that they ever, ever, ever came up with. And so there's no way that the king's kids should be intimidated by the devil's kids. No way. No way should a son or daughter of God be intimidated by somebody that does not even belong to God because their dad's the devil. Their father is the devil. He's the father of lies. And that's, that, that's who's running their family. That's who's running their life. There's no way I'm going to let somebody in that situation intimidate me and make me feel less than when my dad is God Almighty. Romans 8.29, we just looked at it. Romans 8.29, flip back there. I'm going to look at Romans 8.29 and verse 31. 
But my prayer is that I don't screw this up. I really want you guys to get this. So I'm, I'm praying that over the next few weeks as we discuss this, that God will just take my mouth and make good stuff come out. Because this is too powerful to screw this up. I need you to get a hold of this. Because if we had a whole church in Barstow, California, full of people that had godly confidence, we would change this community. We would. And that's not just some cliche thing to say. Because I hate cliche. I hate saying stupid things like that. Go out and change the world. Shut up. How are you going to do it? You have no idea. You're just saying that. I'm, I'm talking about when people could really get a hold of who they are in Christ. Those are people that could actually legitimately do something like that. And so... Romans 8, verse uh, 29, and then we're going to look at verse 31. It says, For God knew his people in advance, and he chose them to become like his son, so that his son would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. So what's the firstborn of the family that has younger siblings? He's called the big brother. He's the, he's the big brother, right? Well, I've got big brothers. Maybe you do. I don't know. But anyway, you have a, possibly an older sibling. But listen, right there that tells us, That literally, if we're looking at the family tree here in the family of God, that Jesus is our big brother by biblical definition. There's not, it's not weird. That's not crazy. But seriously, Jesus is the big brother in the family of God. And so verse 31, it says, what shall we say about such wonderful things as these? If God is for us, who could ever be against us? Why would I be intimidated if God is for me? And I've got good news for you. God is for you. If you're submitted to him and you're living for him, then yeah, God is for you. And if God is for you, who could ever be against you? Who would be dumb enough to mess with the king's kids? Who would be stupid enough to try to come in and, and, and bully the king's kids around? Look at, I want to see this in the message Bible. It says, so what do you think? With God on our side like this, how can we lose? How can we lose? If God didn't hesitate to put everything on the line for us, embracing our own condition and exposing himself to the worst by sending his own son, is there anything else he wouldn't gladly and freely do for us? Think about it. If God would literally lay his son's life on the line, what else? Would, why would he hold anything else back? If he already gave his very best, what else is there to lose? I mean, he's going to literally lay it all out there on the line for us. And who would dare tangle with God by messing with one of God's chosen? Who would dare, who would dare tangle with God by messing with one of God's children? Who would dare even to point a finger? Because you gotta realize, when someone messes with my kids, they're messing with me. When someone messes with your kids, they're messing with you, right? We're not gonna put up with that. And so, when someone's messing around with you, I mean, who, who, who would tangle with God? Who would want to get into it with God? And that's what somebody is bringing onto their life when they're messing with one of God's children. And someone came to me for prayer this morning, and, and someone had done something wrong to them. I'm like, hey, for real, the Bible says vengeance is the Lord's. God will get revenge. When someone messes with one of God's children, it may not happen instantly, but there will eventually be a price to pay for that. I believe in that. That, that the word of God's true in that area, that vengeance is the Lord's, that there does come a time and a place where you can go bullying around, picking on one of God's kids for so long. There will reach a point in time when there will be revenge. And I don't have to be the one to hand the revenge out. 
Vengeance is the Lord's. I'll let him take care of it. Why would I worry about it when he can do a much better job than I can? I'm not wishing for revenge or vengeance on anybody, but I'm telling you right now, if someone is consistently, unrepentantly messing with a child of God, that can only go on for so long, and eventually there will be a price to pay for that. Something bad is going to happen in their lives. I'm not wishing for it. I'm not praying for it. But the truth of the matter is that it will happen. Why? Because, listen, God's my father. Jesus Christ is my big brother. And you don't mess with, you don't mess with me and not have to deal with them. You need to see yourself that way. That, that, that's literally the way it is. And I've, I've shared this story, but I, I love it. I hope my kids don't mind me sharing it. But, um, but there was a kid picking on, on Joel at school for a little while a couple of years ago. And you guys know me. I'm, I'm a very laid back guy. I'm, I'm a lover, not a fighter. And so I don't, I don't, I know I've talked to some dads out there. I was teaching my boys when I, when they were nine years old. I'm like, man, you're stupid. That sounds so stupid to me. But anyway, you know, I, I'm not, I'm not like that. I don't want my kids getting out there and that stuff. But at the same time, I'm okay if they stick up for each other. And so one kid had been picking on him, and I didn't know anything about it. But Isaac, who's, you know, a little bit uh, more uh, testosterone-driven, <laughs> uh, he, he finds out that this kid, this kid's older, older, bigger grade, he finds out that he's picking on his big brother. He meets him at the playground on recess one day. Like, hey, heard you been picking on my brother at the basketball court. Okay. And so, uh, and so he comes out there. He, he pulls the kid's pants down and shoves him down to the playground. Never mess with my brother again. And walks off. I'm like, and I heard about it. He got in trouble for it. And I'm not condoning that. But I'm at the same time, I'm like, that's right. In a family, we stick up for each other. In a family, if you mess with my brother, you're messing with me. If you mess with my children, you're messing with me. And there comes a point in time where something's got to happen, right? Amen? Am I right on that? Listen to me. We belong to the family of God. You have got to get that revelation in your heart. I was just thinking the other day, um, I'm a child of the 90s, okay? I'm just, let's throw that out there. I grew up, you know, that was my main growing up time. And so there was this movie uh, from the comedian Sinbad. I don't know if any of you remember. He was really funny. He was clean too. But Sinbad, he had this movie called First Kid. Did anybody see that in the 90s, First Kid? Funny movie. It was great. But but I, so so his job, Sinbad's job, he was with the Secret Service. His job was to protect the first kid, the president's son. And so, you know, the the whole movie, he 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 takes the bullet for him. He does, and this kid goes to school, and he's always got people protecting him. You know, the other kids are, you know, intimidated, and and he's always got. And one day, the 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 first kid, the president's son, is like, I don't want you guys. And so he makes them stay away, and he ends up getting beat up. Well. It's because he shoved the protection away. But at the same time, I'm thinking, man, how, imagine going to school like that, and you've got 24 hours a day protection. You've got the Secret Service around you. you you've got all the time. You've got bodyguards. You've got the resources all the time. And then I'm like, wait, that is how I live. That is my life. I, everywhere I go, I'm surrounded by the army of heaven. I mean, it is literally like that. No, I, it, 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 that's just the way it is. Everywhere, if I go to school, I've got my protection there. If I go to the store, uh, you know, I, I, I've got my protection there. Everywhere I go, I, I've, I've got, I've got, I'm surrounded on every side by the army of God. So it is like that when you're one of the king's kids. He does dispatch a part of his army to take care of you. Psalm 18. 
Psalm 18. One thing I always kind of laughed at growing up is, and I still do, I watched movies with my parents, and they recognize all these old people all the time. Like, oh, that's old so-and-so. He was in Gunsmoke. And, and, oh, hey, hey, that, that's so-and-so. And I always laugh. And I'm like, how do you know all these, like, people? I mean, they, they pick them out. And then I, we've been watching some movies lately, and I'm like, hey, Katie, that's old so-and-so from, from back in the day. And, hey, Katie, that, that, that's, that's her. She was in that show in the 90s. And my kids are like, what? What are you talking about? Like, it's coming full circle, people. It's here. It's here where it's like that. So anyway, uh, it's Psalm 18, verses 1 through 3. Psalm 18, verses 1 through 3. It says, I love you, Lord. You are my strength. And when you quit trying to be your own strength, life's going to get a whole lot easier. But David, David, as strong as he was, says, Lord, you're my strength. The Lord is my rock. My fortress and my savior. My God is my rock in whom I find protection. He is my shield, the power that saves me and my place of safety. I called on the Lord who is worthy of praise and he saved me from my enemies. I can read stuff like that all day long and never get tired of it. I love the book of Psalms because one of my favorite words in the Bible is fortress. I just love the idea that here I am, wherever I'm at, I am in the middle of a fortress. God has built a fort all around me. It's surrounded by the army of heaven. And David had this revelation where all the time, God, you're my rock. You're my fortress. You're my protection. You're my safety. Psalm 27, he talks about, you set me out of reach. You put me up on a high rock where my enemies can't reach me. And I just picture myself sitting on that high rock. And they're down there swinging and trying to get me. But I'm just waving and saying, you can't reach me. Sorry. God put me up here. And you have got to get this revelation in your heart of where God has put you. And, you know, we I all the time I talk about the story of Elisha. And, 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 and the Lord opening his servant's eyes for just one minute. And he saw horses and chariots of fire surrounding them. If your spiritual eyes could be open for just one minute and you could really see what it is and who it is that's surrounding you, you wouldn't walk into work listening to those guys talk about all this stuff and like, I know, well, we don't, we don't have anything like that. Oh man, stop it, stop it, stop it. You have got it so much better than all those people at Fort Irwin have it, at the Marine Base, at the railroad, at wherever it is you are, unless they happen to be legitimate born-again Christians too. But all those people, no, you have it so much better. You are on such a higher level that you have got to get a hold of it. And so we need to quit being intimidated by people. That's the stupidest thing that I've ever heard of for a Christian And the second thing I'm going to kind of move into here is this, is that you need to quit worrying about provision. Well, what are we going to do? Where's it going to come from this time? Uh, God told me to do this, and I don't know what I'm going to do. God told you to do it, and you're worrying about the money. If it's God's will, it's God's bill, buddy. Listen, God's going to take care of that for you. God is going to see to it that you've got the provision. Can I get an amen in the church tonight? God's got this. If he told you to do it, he's going to take care of it. And so, you know, Galatians 4, 7 says that we are heirs of God. And I've, you know, I've had these conversations with the old religious buddy. Whoa, 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 whoa. 
pump the brakes on the air business. Pump the brakes. Airbag. Calm down. That means salvation. You're going to heaven. You'll get the reward when you go to heaven. You're an heir of God. That means it's your ticket. You need to realize that salvation is more than just your fire insurance card. You know, State Farm sends me an insurance card every six months. And then, you know, hey, I've got insurance. Here's the proof. Well, well, salvation, it's more than just saying, see, I'm not going to hell. There it is. There it is. That is part of it. But it's so much more. It's this Greek word soteria. That means preservation, deliverance, safety, protection, provision. It's all of these things that is salvation. And when it says you're an heir of God, part of the inheritance is provision. It's blessing. It's my God shall supply all of my needs according to his riches and glory through Christ Jesus. That's a part of it right there. A part of it is, beloved, I would wish above all things that thou mayest prosper and be in health even as thy soul prospers. Uh, A part of it is, delight thyself in the Lord and he will give thee the desires of thy heart. Part of it is Psalm 35, 27, where it says, shout, let them shout for joy and be glad that favor my righteous cause. Yea, let them say continually, let the Lord be magnified who has pleasure in the prosperity of his servant. There it is. And so don't buy into the lie that God wants you to be poor so you can be humble, because I know some poor people that aren't humble. A lot of them I know, they're full of, they've got all sorts of issues, and, and, and being poor hasn't seemed to cure it. Yet I know some rich people that are some of the most humble people that I've come across. And so, uh, uh, poor does not equal humility. It, uh, you know, I don't, somewhere along the line, the devil got Christians to believe that lie. And that is a lie from the devil. God doesn't, there's nowhere in the, everywhere you go, it says, I wish above all things you'd prosper and be in health. Let them shout for joy and be glad that, that the Lord has pleasure in the prosperity of his servant. It's all over the place. And yet we've bought into the, like, well, I know, man, it's like this, but just God keeping me humble. Well, how long is it going to take for you to learn humility? Because if you're on your 55th year of, of poverty and you haven't learned the lesson yet, I don't think you're going to get it. I think you're thick-headed or something. Something's wrong somewhere in there. But it's time that we get a revelation of this and say, yeah, God's got better than this. Can you imagine if you were walking down the streets right now and, and you know, what? We, we all say some famous millionaire we know, we, uh, Jeff Bezos, say his kids are out there on the street. Hey, could you spare a little change? We're just trying to get, get a little bit of trying to go get something to eat. I mean, we hear this in Barstow every single day. Someone asking for money. Then, hey, can you just give us and, – and, and what if you recognize – your dad's a billionaire. Go ask him. What's wrong with the guy if his kids are out here begging and they've got it worse than everybody else? How bad is it when God's kids got it worse than anybody else? Hey, you want to come be like me? You want to come and, uh, you know, join this family? Well, in our family, we can at least eat. We aren't perfect, but we've got it together. We can take our kids on vacations. We, we can get new cars. We can, you know, we live a comfortable life. And, and, and listen, it's not about things, but what I'm saying is this, is that God's kids should not have it worse than everybody else. That's just fact. 
I'm not saying we're all going to be billionaires in this life and we're all going to have private jets and yachts. I don't want that anyway. What I am saying is this. I don't have to wonder about how I'm going to get shoes for my kids for the school year. Kids, use that backpack for the fourth year. Uh, I know it's got holes, but it's the best we can do right now. That's not the best God can do. He's got better than that. My kids don't have to be the ones with, you know, that, you know, well, they sent them home today because their school requires a uniform and they've got holes in them. They sent the kids home. It doesn't have to be like that. That's shameful. And that, that's, not, that's not putting down anybody, but God's got better than that for his kids. God's got better. And it's time that you get that revelation. And so when you do have that revelation, you're going to quit worrying about, well, where's it going to come from? Psalm 37, verse 25. No, I, just, I was just talking about this. Psalm 37. Are you getting anything tonight? Is this, I mean, I'm praying to God that this clicks with somebody in here. Psalm 37. Psalm 37 and verse 25. And King David says this. He says, once I was young and now I'm old, yet I have never seen the godly abandoned or their children begging for bread. I mean, that's good right there. And, 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 and maybe, you know, we aren't begging for bread. But, but we, could, we should be able to say it this way. Once I was young, now I'm old. Or maybe you're still young, whatever the case is. But I have never seen the righteous, the godly forsaken. I've never seen God just let them. They're out there on their own. Or their children begging. Having to do without. They're the only kids that can't go on the field trip. They're the only kids that can't, uh, you know, you can't afford to do this. They're the only kids that have never done this. Not God's will. David said, I've never seen the godly abandoned. That's saying something. He'd seen a lot of things. He'd been around the block. He'd seen a lot of things. But one thing he never saw was the godly abandoned. I've never seen it. Ever. I mean, I've been, I've been to other countries. I've been over the world. And I've seen a lot of people abandoned and, and left on their own, but I've never seen the actual godly abandoned. I've seen fakers and posers and people that are part-time Christians, but I'm talking about the godly, okay? We always have to differentiate. There's some people that claim this stuff, but they're not real. They're fake. They're phonies, and they don't live it. I'm talking about people that really do live for God, that really are godly. I've never seen them abandoned, never had to see their children begging for bread. Why is that? Because God is their father. God is on their side. And if God is for us, who could ever be against us? Let's look at Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6. You know, we've all heard that in heaven the streets are made out of gold. You've heard that. Well, that is true. But really, the truth of the matter is Revelation 21 tells us the entire city is made out of gold. It's not just the streets. Everything there is made out of gold, and it's a gold so pure that it's as clear as glass. There's nothing in this world like it. And, you know, I, I, I often share these statistics and stuff, but uh, gold right now is worth about $1,280 an ounce. And so can you imagine even what one, one piece of sidewalk in heaven must be worth? However much a, a brick weighs how much would that be in gold? And now multiply that by a whole sidewalk, by a whole city street. It's unreal. It's un, un, 
unfathomable how big and rich God is. You know, I, I even try to think about it where it says the universe and everything. I mean, he, he just made all of it. it. The stars, he calls them all by name. Who knows how many stars there are? But, but, but he, he calls them all by name. Says he can hold all the oceans of the earth in the palm of his hand. You, you're, the human mind cannot even begin to comprehend. It's just, it's, it's mind blowing to think about how big God is. And then to think about how rich God is. Rich, 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 rich. And he says, that's my son. That's my daughter. I want you to be my family. Come into the throne of grace. Don't, don't be out there begging. Come on in. I want to be with you. You're my kids. And when you get this, when it clicks in your heart, it changes the way that you carry yourself. It changes the way that you see yourself. Matthew 6, verse 31, it says, So don't worry about these things saying, what will we eat? What will we drink? What will we wear? These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers. But your heavenly father already knows all your needs. You don't have to see it, man. I wonder if dad knows that we need this. I wonder if dad knows that we need new tires. I wonder if dad knows that the brakes are going up. I wonder if dad, he already knows all your needs. You don't need to stay awake at night. Doesn't need to happen. God, God, God already stays awake all night. He neither slumbers nor sleeps. There's no need in both of you staying up all night. One of you should go to bed now. So might as well be you because God's not going to do it. So don't lose any sleep. Go to sleep. I know people in the world that these things dominate their thoughts. Sadly, there's people with money that these things dominate their thoughts. It's all they think about. It's sick. But God says, I don't want my kids living that way. I don't want, you know, there's, there's certain, you know, there's certain things about your family. Each family has their own set of values, right? Their own culture. In our house, we don't do this. I, in our family, you know, I know everyone else does that, but that's just, that's not for us. That's not what we do. And in God's family, there should be a certain set of values and just a culture where we all get it. God says, these things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers. But your heavenly father already knows everything you need. And so in this family, this stuff doesn't dominate our thoughts anymore. We let go, we, you know, take it in prayer, take it to God, but I'm not going to lose sleep over it anymore. I'm not going to let this dominate me and consume me so much that I can't go out and do the Lord's work because I'm, I'm too afraid about, well, I don't know if we're going to make it through the week. Verse 33 is after he says, God already knows everything you need. It says right here, Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously and he will give you everything you need. Notice in that verse, I'm not against hard work, but nowhere in that verse is the word work mentioned. I believe in hard work, but there are certain things, shelter, food, clothing, that I'm not going to make my kids go out there and Dig a ditch for it if you really want to eat today. If you really want this, I mean, you know, there's, there's different bonuses and stuff I want. The, but, but listen, nowhere in there it says if you work and beg and, and do it hard enough, God will go ahead and give you the things you need. He'll go ahead and if you earn it, you can earn the things you need. That's not grace. And there's a lot of misconception about grace in modern times. But one thing about grace is definitely this. Grace is not something that you deserve. It's something that's given to you. And if you're out there working so hard for it, it's not by the grace of God. 
we need to work hard. I get that. I, I, well, I'm not taking that away. But I don't need to toss and turn and, oh, my gosh, what's going to happen? God knows what I need. If I'll seek his kingdom first and live righteously, he will straight up give me everything I need. Well, I work for a living. Good for you. I don't. I work. I work. And believe me, I do a lot of things I don't want to do. <laughs> but listen, right now, I don't work for a living. I seek the kingdom of God and live righteously for a living. So I don't care, you know, what happens from there on out. I, I don't work to make a living and survive in this world. I serve God and I seek the kingdom of God. He may use Ford Irwin to, to get that through to me. He may use Walmart or, or uh, you know, wherever it is you're at. That's fine. Perfect. Grand. Wonderful. But they are not my source. I am not limited to what they give me. I seek the kingdom of God and live righteously. He gives me everything I need. Get this in your heart tonight. You know, I believe in telling God what you need, you know, and, 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 and you can leave it at that. You know, Brother Hagen, I listen to this on YouTube all the time. He has, he has sermons on a lot of different topics, but somehow on YouTube they haven't put a lot of his financial teaching on there yet. I don't know why, but, but there's one sermon on there that they do have, and, and I listen to it all the time. And he talks about he got to a place in, in life and in ministry where he then we're talking about in the forties, okay, but he needed hundred and fifty dollars a week. That was just to make it, okay? Like he had to have hundred and fifty dollars a week. And so he did every you know, he he worked and scraped and, and saved and, and just barely and, and usually didn't even get it. But then he started telling God, God, here's what I need. I need hundred and fifty dollars a week. You know that. And so I'm putting it in your hands. I'll go out and work. I'll do my thing. I'll, you know, he's preaching all the time and traveling. Here's what I need. I claim that $150 a week right now in the name of Jesus. Left it at that. He didn't every single day, God, it's me again. Please bring it in. He just left it at that. And it just started coming in every week, just without fail. Every single week, usually more than that, when he put it in God's hands. And so I'm like, man, if that'll work for him, hey. God's no respecter of persons. God has no favorites that'll work for me. And so if I'm in a situation, I'll tell God what I need. Amen? And I leave it at that. But I don't sit there begging and clawing and scratching. But God, I've done really good. I've done this, this, and this this year. And I did this, this, and this that year. That's you trying to earn the favor of God on your own good works. That's not how it works. It's the grace of God. And so I remember a couple years ago, I needed $300 like by Tuesday morning. And I, I need, it was legit. I needed it. And so I told God, hey, Lord, you know my need. I need $300. I call it in. I need it. I need it by Tuesday. And so Sunday night church, someone comes up to me. Hey, God told me to give you something. And this person, listen, we had a good membership class yesterday. I was, had, a, had a lot of good time with, um, with Doug and Alexis. There are two newest members. Let's give them a hand right here. <laughs> but, you know. We were talking about sometimes God uses knuckleheads or people like that aren't perfect. This dude is a real knucklehead. I know, I'm shocked that God used him, but but if God could use a donkey in the Old Testament, God could use you know some you know some person like that. Anyway, so this guy's like, God told me to give you something, and, and is, is, is there a need you have? I'm like, yeah, there is. I mean, I don't go out and broadcast my needs. I tell God. I don't tell anybody else. And and so he's like, well, God gave me a specific amount. Can you tell me the exact amount of what God of, of what what you need? And so if I need to adjust what God told me, I'm like, no, 
uh, just, I know what I need. You do what God told you to do. And if it's right, it's right. And we'll know you heard God. So he's like, okay. Well, he shows up at my house after church. And he's like, God told me to give you $300. And he laid 300 I was like, that's exactly it. Bingo. God bless you. Love you. Go home. I got to get the kids to bed. No, I didn't do that. But at the same time, I'm telling you that God knows your needs. If he needs to talk to some knucklehead to come and get it to you, God can use knuckleheads. If at one time the disciples needed to pay their taxes and Jesus said, go down there to the lake, catch a fish. And the first fish that you pull out, it's going to have money in its mouth. Go pay your t- pay mine while you're at it, while you're down there, too. And so Peter and the boys catch a fish and then they open up. Hey, there's all right, there's money. Thank you, fish. If God can use a fish, if God can use a donkey, God can use some of these people around here. God can use anything that he wants to use. It doesn't matter. God can make it happen. Don't tell him how to let him be God. You do your part. Just let, but, but quit trying to be God. Let him be the one to do it. Amen. And so if I seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously, he'll give me what I need. And the last point is this. Quit being afraid of your future. Quit being afraid of your future. You need to quit being intimidated by people. You need to quit worrying about provision. And I'm saying you need to quit being afraid of your future. I want to look at Isaiah 65. Isaiah 65. Now, in the book of Isaiah, the people of Israel found themselves in a nightmare scenario. They disobeyed God. And they turned to worshiping idols instead of their father. And that's sad, but a lot of people do that today. They seek other things above the kingdom of God and make other things an idol. A whole lot of the time, it's money. A whole lot of the time, people, uh, they, 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 they put money above God. And, you know, I always just kind of detest myself and test people. I'll throw it out there. You know, just for instance, our attitude and how we serve at church. You know, what, would I do a better job watching those babies upstairs if I was getting paid for it? Or is my attitude, they're lucky I'm even, I'm not even getting paid for this. I'm volunteering. Oh, oh, what a bad attitude. Oh, God, we don't need that. Or, or you know, ah, I'm not even going to show. I'm not getting paid for it anyway. Oh, man. Check your heart. Check your heart. Check your heart. That's wrong. That's wrong. You're starting to value money, nasty money over God and his house. Oh, dear God, no. That should never be the attitude of a kid, of one of God's kids. When, when we serve, it's, yeah, we volunteer, we do stuff, but I give God 100%, whether I'm getting paid for it or not. You mean to tell me that you'd give more to, to the Marine base putting screws into a tank because they're paying you 20 bucks an hour than you would to God Almighty, who didn't pay $20 for you, he gave his son Jesus Christ, and I'm going to give them more of my effort, more of my best, because they're right and cutting me a check. That's I'm just throwing that out there. That's not the point of this sermon. But the children of Israel, they began worshiping idols. The Assyrians came and destroyed Israel, conquered them. They scattered. It was a bad Nightmare of a scenario. But despite all of their mistakes, God still loved them and said, hey, if you come back to me, 
I'll, I'll give you a good future all over again. And sometimes we've really blown it. We've put other things before God. We've been scattered. The Assyrians have come and, 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 uh, and conquered us. But God says, you know what? I wish you hadn't done that. But guess what? If you'll just come back, we'll start from scratch. I'll give you a whole brand new future all over again. And so here we are, Isaiah 65, starting at verse 23. Here's what God's saying. If you'll serve him, it says, they will not work in vain. That's good right there. They will not work in vain and their children will not be doomed to misfortune for they are people blessed by the Lord and their children too will be blessed. He's saying this to a bunch of people that had backstabbed him. A bunch of people that had turned their backs on him. He's like, you come back to me, it's okay. You're not going to work in vain. I'm going to bless your children. Your children are doomed to misfortune. Verse 24, it says, I will answer them before they even call to me. While they are still talking about their needs, I'll go ahead and answer their prayers. So that's to people in the Old Testament that had turned their back and, and backstabbed God and been two-faced towards him. He's like, you come back to me. I've got this. I want you back. I'm not mad. Just come on back, and I'll do this for you. How much more so for the children of God that are living for him, that are living righteously in 2019, what's God going to do for you? And so I'm, I'm, I'm bringing it all down to this. I'm, it's all boiling down to this. I'm going to go ahead and bring it in for a landing right here. But listen to me. You have to get the realization that you're not just like everybody else. Your dad is the king of the world. Your dad owns all this stuff. You have an upper hand. You have an advantage. You don't belong. Well, I belong to the Rockefeller family. I belong to the Bezos family. I belong to the Trump family. That's whatever. I'm talking about you belong to the family of God. Don't you dare. Walk in there with your head held low. Don't you dare think that all those people are better than you. Don't you dare have an inferiority complex about you. And, uh, and we're not, um, this isn't prideful. You are in a better position to them than them. You have a better family than they do. And overall, in a holy way, you're better than they are. <laughs> I'm just being real. You're better than they are because you're a child of God. You're a daughter of God. You're a son of God. You walk into that room with your head held high. And, and, and we're not, again, we're not being boastful, but you are something special, dude. You are someone awesome they're the ones that should be wanting to get into your circle of friends they're the ones that should want to be around you but quit begging quit trying to beat doors down if they don't want you that's fine it's their loss not yours listen to me now you're a child of god get that in your head and we'll talk more about this later but there's no use in talking anymore until you get this in your heart you are in the family of god Jesus is your big brother, and God is the Father. You're awesome. Amen? Let's go ahead and stand up together. Thank you for listening to this podcast. For more information, visit hdwc.org.